All right, we are back. We are talking the four kings of boxing. This is chapter six. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And joining me tonight, opposite Sugar Ray in the left corner, it's Salty Pat. How do you do, sir? Cheers, everybody. What a hey. night. What a fight. Only in America. Only in America. I don't want to derail things right off the bat, but did you see Don King put in another first bid for uh, Trevor Bryant and Mahmoud Char? He won it. Yeah. Yep. He won it. Allegedly, it's going to be on the January 29th fight with the, uh, the 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 headliner cruiserweights or whatever it was. Death, taxes, cockroaches, Twinkies, and Don King. Indeed. Only in America. But that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss Sugar Ray versus Tommy the Hitman Hearns. Their first fight. Oh and I'll tell you, Pat, uh, I watched this fight today. This is pretty. This is. I don't know if a better narrative has ever been written for a fight than what actually took place between Sugar Ray and Tommy Hearns. That is a very cinematic fight. Oh, it's it's yeah, it's it, it, it it's really built cinematically. It's got three stages to it, three acts, mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. From if you're analyzing from that point, and we were talking about this offline today with um, Gavin Napier. It's in terms of a super fight, a legitimate super fight, mm -hmm. it's very hard to compete with this on paper because you have two guys in their prime weight class, in their prime. Mm -hmm. Each guy's a champion. Each guy's beaten everybody they've ever fought. Even though Leonard has a loss, he's beaten Duran in very emphatic fashion in the rematch. They're streaking. They're peaking. They're the new faces of boxing now that Ali has seen the sunset. Mm -hmm. Um and the action that takes place, it's not a very uh, unappealing chess match, and it's not a face-first brawl, but it's a scientific fight at such an entertaining level that you mm -hmm. rarely get. And so it really just it's, – it's we're going to talk about it as a whole, but just to set the table for you, that's kind of what you can look forward to in this. Yeah, it's really amazing, and, and that's a very valid point. That when I think back about some of the super fights, you know, a lot of the best fights Ali had was after – he came, you know, was the comeback after he got banned from boxing where he, you know, some would argue he was past his prime. You know, you've got Tyson and Holyfield uh, or Tyson and Lewis where Tyson was on the back end of his career. Uh, things like that. So you're not Even wrong. Tyson and Holyfield, people thought that was a fight that should have taken place five years before it did. Right. And so you're, you're absolutely right, Pat. You're Sugar Ray and Tommy Hearns are just like right there right in the pinnacle of their careers because because shortly after because sugar ray not to give not to spoil the 30 year old fight however old fight this is um but uh, 40 years my god oh yeah. 40 years 40 years two months ago Oof. yeah wow he may he may have won the fight but tommy hearns walked away from that fight with a piece of sugar ray's ass like <laughs> piece of his face his eye yeah piece both both. Yeah. He had one in each hand. But let's <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about good old Sugar Ray. Where we last left off, uh, he had had a pair of fights with Roberto Duran, um, where he pulls an Anthony Joshua, where he fight, where you know he fights, uh, he loses a unanimous decision. We talked all about that on the last podcast, and he has an immediate rematch, same year at the Superdome in New Orleans, and he gets the, uh, you know, it's the no Moss fight. It's the TKO in the eighth round, and we talked at length about what that amounted to. You can hear that on our last episode, available on YouTube, uh, available on W2M.net, uh, everywhere we stream. 
So um, he will take a couple of months off, and then he gets back in the ring in 1981 in Syracuse, of all places, sunny Syracuse. Well, that's the fight capital of northern New York, don't you know? Indeed, uh, where he will retain his WBC and ring welterweight titles against Larry Bonds uh, with a 10-round TKO, uh, making his record 29-1. and He then goes to the Astrodome, and I want to... He's going to win the WBA and ring light middleweight titles there. Just real briefly, what made him decide to go up a uh, up a weight class here for that fight? What's uh, what's the deal with Mr. Kalule there? The junior divisions are always, and the purpose of them, even though some guys wind up making a career at them, is to give a welterweight the option to see how they'll do with growing into a fight at middleweight or a junior welterweight, the chance to grow into a fight as a welterweight and so on. They're meant to be transitional places for a guy to move into the money fights like in mm-hmm. the next division. That's kind of Ray's attempt here. And he, what he does is collect a belt along the way. He fights Ayab Kaluli of Uganda um, with some real bad stuff that went on ahead of time, like really poorly tasted things. Um, they did a whole thing with a witch doctor um, to put Christ. a curse on Kalule. And Nick Bowe's promoter, Rock Newman, who's a controversial figure in and of himself, mm-hmm. is you know decrying this outside of the Houston Astronome when the press conference is made. However, he's wearing white in the summer in Houston, which a lot of the locals will tell you not to do. But as he's yelling about how this witch doctor is evil and all this stuff, I, I heard a, a, a murder of crows attack him. <laughs> Because apparently, one, voodoo might be real, but two, mm-hmm. it's also a known thing that you don't wear white in the summer in Houston because it agitates the crows. So score wow. one for nature versus rock. Um, That's hilarious. But yeah, Leonard took on Kalule, who was a good fighter. Not a great mm-hmm. fighter, but a good fighter at junior middleweight to see how he could handle moving up in weight. And he stopped Kalule in the ninth round. But he didn't look all that impressive doing it to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Kalule is thought to be a class significantly under Ray. And... Ray hurt him in the fifth. He drops him later in the ninth, and, and Kalule kind of waves it off like, no, I've had enough. But he, he was thought to be so much ahead of Kalule that this should have been easy work for him. And Kalule gave him a pretty decent fight through about the first four rounds before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't necessarily wow people on that card the way somebody else did. Yes, and we're going to get there. So when we last left Tommy Hearn, chapter four of our series, he had won the WBA welterweight title from Pepino Cuevas. Uh, he will go on same year in the same arena, the Joe Lewis Arena, the famed Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, December 6, 1980, and he will KO Lewis Primera in the sixth round to retain the WBA, WBA title. My dad used to have all these like fights on tape and stuff, and he would label mm-hmm. on the outside white label, that, as you do, you know, this versus yeah. this on there. He had it her, labeled Hearns versus Louis Prima. <laughs> I always just thought that was funny. Uh, he then goes on the following year, April 25th, 1981, in Phoenix, Arizona. He will retain the WBA title again against Randy Shields in a 12-round TKO. Yeah, longest time he's gone in a fight into that 12th round against Randy Shields and does stop the very durable Randy Shields on a really bad cut and just accumulation of punishment. Um, but that's the longest he's ever gone in a fight to this point. That's going to be important to remember. And now, pay attention, children. Uh, his next fight is June 25th, 1981, where at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, where he will retain the WBA welterweight title against Pablo Baez uh, in, with a four-round TKO, the significance of which not only does this make, it, make his record 32-0, and 0, 
and you know the undefeated WBA welterweight champion. He's on the same card as our man, the Seven Up Kid, Sugar Ray Leonard. Now, what's the significance of that, Pat? There's a few things. Um, if you listen to our earlier shows, you'll remember there's a little bit of a political divide between the two recognized sanctioning bodies, the WBA and the WBC, where at one point the WBC was steadfast that they could not have a WBC title fight on the same card as a WBA title fight. Thus, the two belts that are fought for on this card are both WBA-recognized championships, Leonard's Junior Middleweight Championship, Hearns's Welterweight Championship. After Leonard had beaten Roberto Duran in New Orleans, the press shifted to, well, when are you going to fight Tommy Hearns? And Leonard and his camp's argument was, well, nobody really knows who Tommy Hearns is. Nobody knows <laughs> Tommy Hearns. And if you recall, there was a point in time where when Leonard was on the way up, Hearns was selected as an opponent and only through the intervention of Angelo Dundee calling that fight off at the time, saying it's going to be worth a lot more down the line, mm -hmm. which he's, of course, right about. Stop that fight from happening then. But at this point in time, the Leonard camp knows, okay, Hearns is the other guy, but there's a lot of risk involved with this because he's pretty good. Let's get something around this to really build to it to where if it's risky, we're going to cash in on it. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to put them both on the same card to give Tommy some exposure on one of Ray's shows so people who are interested in Ray can see what Hearns brings to the table. And... You know, the thing is, Hearns had gotten a lot of press in the boxing world at this point. There's a very famous Ring magazine with Tommy dressed in a zoot suit with a machine gun. Because um, after – after he had originally been called the Hitman. They had him change his name to the Motor City Cobra because they didn't want the organized crime element. But mm -hmm. that iconic cover of him with the, the – you know, Tommy gun and the zoot suit, the Hitman strikes, mm -hmm. uh, was on a lot of people's mind. And Tommy had become a fixture on network TV at this point because of his style. So the Leonard Camp – basically kind of seemed like they were avoiding him to a lot of people because he was really the one fight out there that made sense other than the potential of junior welterweight champion Aaron Pryor coming up to challenge Ray for his title at that point, um, which never ends up materializing. But they put them on the same card, like, okay, if we're going to sell this, let's really sell it. We're going to have them each on the same card. That way we have counterpoints who looks better, who can do this, who can do that. Ray's moving up a division to challenge for a title. Tommy's defending his title. Let's see who looks better. Let's let's get their names involved and intertwined to see what's going to happen next. And it was smart. Um, and, you know, Tommy's people were wise to get him onto that card. And Ray's people were wise to build up to that, to, okay, if he's going to be our next challenger, let's get him exposed. Let's build this fight up. Sure. Got you know, at the end of the day, you got to sell tickets. And it's a smart move to have your potential next opponent on your card. Because if he makes good, then people are going to, you know, one, in terms of like fight camps or whatever else, you're, 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 you're both on equal footing. It's not like you're waiting for another guy to have his fight. And then, you know, one guy's had a longer layoff than the other. Yeah. You're both right there. But also, as you said, to have him on the same card, people can go, hey, that guy that won on the, on the undercard, he needs to fight the champ next. You know, it, it's instant marketing. It's a lost art because even to a point in time, HBO and Showtime were able to kind of put these together from time to time. But over the last decade, uh, especially now with HBO out of the boxing game, mm. you really didn't see fights built in such a manner, unfortunately. Like where you, you didn't see when there was a super fight. Like, let's say Triple G and Canelo, which was a very anticipated fight. Mm -hmm. They didn't fight in a doubleheader on the same card to build to that. And I think right. that was a mistake, you know. 
or they, they've done double headers and not built off of that to go. Like at one point in time, Showtime had two heavyweight title fights on the same card. You had mm-hmm. uh, Chris Bird defending against uh, Devaro Williamson and James Tony defending a minor league belt against uh, Dominic Gwynn. Could you they imagine, didn't go with Bird Tony next? Could you Bird imagine Josh, Vladimir Klitschko? Can you imagine Joshua Usyk too on the same card as Dillian White and Tyson Fury? Like I, I can't. It would it would be great because at the end, you know, when when Usyk wins again and Tyson beats Dillian White, which you know, odds makers have that happening fairly easily, then you have them right there, both in the same place to face off for the next big super stadium show. Which again, we're going to talk about in this fight too the perils of promoters and how that can get in the way of a lot of things. Whereas how this fight's made is very different, uh, right? In that sense. All right. So just to kind of wrap up that there as we said um sugar ray uh gets a ninth round tko tommy hearns gets a four round tko and then it is off to caesar's palace showdown at the palace they called it the and, newly constructed caesar's palace and so we have the 32 uh and oh we have the 32 and oh tommy with 30 hearns. knockouts with, yeah like he seems like, a, like he's such a lanky looking dude, which the commentators have no problem talking about throughout this. Um, you know, it's not lanky that right hand. No, no. Versus the thirty and one Sugar Ray for all the marbles, the WBC, the ring, and WBA welterweight titles. It's a super fight. It's a unification fight. This is the big deal, probably the biggest deal in boxing in the year of our Lord, nineteen eighty one. But how did we get to Caesar's Palace, Pat? Each team knew that this was the fight that needed to happen. Um, Leonard's team knew, Hearns' team knew, and wanted it desperately. Um, so in a division where they had both essentially cleared out most of the top contenders and they're not moving up, they're both in the front, this is the fight to make. Well, what are your obstacles at that point? One, money. Mm-hmm. Hearns' people were not aggressive and said, oh, well, Tommy deserves 50% of the purse because they knew Ray's name drew a lot more water than Tommy's did at this point. So what they do, what they did was raise manager Mike Trainer, Tommy's management group, which was you know headed by Emmanuel Stewart as a manager and trainer. They agreed on the purse terms that you know Ray's going to get the lion's share, Tommy will get a significant amount. So what they did was just the two of them worked together without a problem. They negotiated a site, which wound up being the newly constructed for this event, Caesar's Palace which was an outdoor version of Caesar's Palace uh, instead of Caesar's Sports Pavilion that had been used previously, which is the tin walls around uh, that we've seen in some of these past fights where like Leonard fought Benitez. This arena is going to be used for one time only basically in Caesar's Palace. It's a 24,000 seat capacity. What they did was um, they had been doing some negotiations with Shelly Finkel, who is the kind of the go-between between between camps because he had a good relationship with both people. And Shelly was a boxing guy who'd kind of navigated around. He'll get involved with Mike Tyson later on. And Shelly reached out to uh, Kathy and Dino Duva, who were the children and, and son-in-law of Lou Duva, who was a manager trainer at the time. But they had started a promotional firm called Main Events based out of New Jersey. And they got hired as the promoter of record to secure all the rights and everything. So essentially what the camps did was agree to all the terms without needing a promoter, a la Don King, Bob Arum, who all they had to do was hire a promoter of record for the fight because everything was agreed upon. That promoter essentially gets free money 
mm-hmm. not interfering or trying to do anything stupid. And you have the fight set. And eventually what the terms come to, Leonard was given an $8 million guarantee. Tommy got a $5.1 million guarantee. Uh, you had Finkel who got a percentage of the purse for doing the go-between work. The Duvas were the promoters of record who got a small percentage, uh, not a small percentage, but not a huge percentage. They had a lot of money in a small percentage for this fight. Um, and what they did was they hired Bob Arum to do the uh, international and closed circuit television rights because of his contacts at the point in time. And because it was more viable to do business with him than Don King, because at the least, Arum's going to be upfront if trying to steal your fighter at this point in time and do future business with them. King is going to use every trick in the book, as we've established in past episodes, to try to steal your guy, sign him, and ruin him. Um, so it really, they were, and each camp kind of got afraid of political ramifications to come later because they had essentially frozen out the idea of a big name promoter needing to be attached to this. Uh, it's something that's going to happen with Mike Tyson's camp later, that they freeze mm-hmm. out promoters from time and they face political scorn because of it. But the negotiations for this were pretty smooth. It was the press conferences and everything else to get there that was a little bit rocky. Mm-hmm. So I just want to point this out because this is the four kings of boxing, and we've already addressed what happens with Roberto Duran, who will come back later. But you might be asking yourself, well, what about Marvelous Marvin? Well, you have to understand <laughs> that he wins in, in September 27th, 1980, as we covered before, he wins the WBA, WBC ring middleweight titles. And he goes on a tear for like the next three years uh, retaining those titles, knocking out um, the likes of uh, Mustafa Hamshow, William Lee, um, Tony Simpson. He is is a lot in the press about this fight, though, because Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily transparent to the press that after these guys fight each other, barring the idea of a rematch, the next logical step for them is to move up and eventually right. challenge Marvin. And so they asked Marvin, like, well, what do you think about this fight? He goes, well, one guy's going to be a loser and the other guy's doomed. And they said, why do you say he's doomed? He's got to fight me. So this goes on and on and on well into 1983, where he meets another one of the four kings making his step up to middleweight, Roberto Duran. And we'll cover that in a, in a separate chapter. But if you're wondering, like, where, where does Marvin fit into all this? And another weight class def- defending his belts. He's and if you mean busy. by defending his belts, destroying men as a whole. Yes, indeed. <laughs> all right. So um, anything else that you want to get into before we get to the fight itself? Because I know that there was some jawjacking going on between good old Sugar and Tommy leading into this fight. Well, we've talked about, you know, Ray kind of idolizing Muhammad Ali and Mm -hmm. wanting to. And he really did become the next boxing megastar after Ali faded out um, at the end of his career. Ray kind of shifted gears a little bit at this point, and he's acting much more like the Manila version of Ali, who is just horribly cruel and mm-hmm. mean to Joe Frazier. And I don't think he gets to that level, but he really goes after Tommy in the press conferences leading to this. And in part, it's probably because Tommy is very reserved and very shy and doesn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just not that type of person at this point in time, especially in his career. But they would say to Ray things like, hey, you played mind games with Durand. Do you plan on doing that with Hearns? And he, his one big comment that everybody thought, like he, he said and everybody zoned in on was, I think they need to perform a lobotomy on Tommy to see if there's even a brain in there. Oh, God. 
and he just he really was very like sugar wasn't so sweet um mm-hmm. in this build up to fighting tommy and tommy's very short very matter of fact and he said we'll see what happens on the 16th and you know his mentality was just to train his ass off and not mm-hmm. run his mouth so in one respect ray's being very ali mean mm-hmm. but he's also carrying the promotional load of this because even though there's so much anticipation for this fight in the boxing world, there's never the guarantee that it's going to be a hit with everybody. Right. And Ray kind of wants to underscore that because there's a lot more money at stake than just the 8 million and 5 million upfront guaranteed. There's closed circuit revenue. There's live gate revenue. There's uh, syndication uh, rights that can go into effect that they'll get a piece of. So it's a smart business plan, but it's always one of those things where you have to wonder how much of this borders on am I crossing a line here knowing we have to sell a fight where he's not doing the Ali in Manila, this guy's ignorant, he's an Uncle Tom, he works for the enemy type stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's saying some pretty mean stuff. And as the 7-Up kid, the guy who's seen as the, as the white hat for a long time with dealing with Duran, I don't know that it was necessarily the best time to try to turn heel, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um well, you get the impression with with Thomas Hearns, where you know, and this happens with a lot of fighters, where they're great fighters, they're you know they're perfectly charming fellows, but they don't really know how to turn it on for the camera. The camera likes characters. Yeah, and and Tommy's going to find that out a little bit more as this goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's interesting workouts that go along with this fight. Um, now this we're still in the closed circuit here. There's not pay per view at this point. So one of Tommy's main sparring partners is future welterweight great Marlon Starling, um, one of the most underrated fighters of the 80s, really, really great, terrific fighter. Tommy broke Marlon's jaw sparring, Mm -hmm. and Marlon was supposed to headline a card at the Hartford Civic Center in Connecticut just a couple days after that. And rather than rebook a main event or anything, they were promised footage of the sparring session where Hearns broke Marlon's jaw. Because stuff like that was very rare, and to be able to see that, and you're the only market that's going to see that, it's pretty cool to get that little piece in. On the opposite side, we almost didn't have a fight because of something that happened in Leonard's camp. At the time, Leonard had a sparring partner who accidentally elbowed Leonard in a sparring session right under the eye Mm -hmm. and caused a cut, caused a little bit of swelling, and Leonard's camp refused to let anybody know about this at the time. That's why Leonard, as his custom, he never had open workouts where there was sparring involved because nobody wanted anybody to see anything. until, And he didn't do that until years later where he let certain people in. But there was concern. They're like, hey, is this gonna is this going to heal in time? And so they were just tight-lipped about it. They were going to ride this out until the day of the fight if they had to. But the, the cut did heal. The swelling was gone. But it's not the end of plight for Leonard's eyes we'll see in this fight. Um, right. But it was, it was really – kind of one of those things where it's like you find out in hindsight this happened and you're like and you've seen fights derailed by cuts we talked about ali foreman being derailed for a month and george Mm -hmm. having to stay in zaire and what that could have potentially caused the outcome to result in um knowing these things after the fact makes it all the more interesting oh they went ahead with this what would have happened if they didn't what would happen if this got postponed for a month two months whatever it was um knowing all these things in hindsight so, okay, um, before we get into the fight itself, I do want to let everyone know that we are um, promoting Grammarly. For you listeners 
of the Four Kings of Boxing podcast here on the Rattleligion Broadcasting Network uh, on W2M. Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. So the setup for this, um, Thomas Hearns, much taller than Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, has a longer reach. He's got a very lanky frame to him. Uh, not quite Fundora, but, you know, still, uh, he, he is definitely, he, he is definitely a, um, a threat to Sugar Ray on the outside. So Sugar Ray is going to use his speed and his, um, his ability to fight off the back foot to evade those punches. Here's the problem going into this <laughs> fight is there, there there's using your defense to try you know to fend off an attack and try to find openings to counter and then there's then then there's just dodging punches and not countering at all and suddenly you're behind several rounds um the beginning of this fight the first couple of rounds of this fight i think shocked the world that saw it sugar ray leonard is circling, circling, circling for the first several rounds of this fight. And Tommy Hearns is scoring. He's not... Sugar Ray is making him miss for certain. Yeah. But Sugar Ray isn't firing anything back in return. So let's say you throw 10 punches and you miss eight of them. You still hit with two. If the other guy throws zero, you win. <laughs> You've won that round. You have scored more punches than the other guy. Despite, and, despite you know, the myth of Willie Pep having won a round without throwing a punch. No, he didn't win that round because he didn't fight. No. And and that's really like the first the first third of this fight is Sugar Ray giving away the fight. And you can hear like I wouldn't go as far as saying the commentary team was like cheerleading as we've heard on some modern broadcasts, but there is a palpable sense of anxiety that <laughs> that the Muhammad Ali of our age is about to go down to spaghetti legs McGee. I have to ask, do you know which broadcast team you're listening to during during the fight? Because there's there, there's multiple broadcast teams that have covered this, and I've heard a couple mm -hmm. different versions, having watched the fight multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember which one I watched today on YouTube. Um, it was the one that Top Rank rebroadcasted. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I don't know it, that could have been I don't know mm -hmm. who they had on it, but there I've heard multiple broadcasts of this. I've heard the Howard Cosell broadcast, so I'm gonna know it's not him based on you would know Howard Cosell. Yeah, if you heard him, there was one that was the HBO broadcast, which was Barry Tompkins and Larry Merchant. Mm -hmm. um, there's another NBC broadcast, which was uh, Marv Albert, Ferdy Pacheco, and the legendary Don Dunphy um, as a three man booth. Uh, and then there's the recorded version of Tim Ryan and Gil Clancy um, that I'm going to maybe assume was the top rank rebroadcast you heard, but I don't know. Um, but I've heard all of those commentary teams at one time or another talk mm -hmm. through this fight. And there's definitely the sense of peril uh, being <laughs> put forth by a lot of them. The only one I would say was probably more even keel than any of them was uh, mm -hmm. Albert Pacheco and Dunphy. There's a lot of what is what is Sugar Ray doing? What what but, are we, what's happening here? But again, let's look at it. I mean, the first round, each guy is is largely very tentative 
and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where they can tag the other guy and looking mm-hmm. for the opening that's not necessarily there because they're both very, very well-schooled, high-level boxers. And for Ray, it's much more difficult than usual because of the height and length of Tommy that he's not used to seeing. Combine that with Tommy's hand speed, which is very underrated in my opinion. I think people often forget how fast those long arms can move, mm-hmm. especially when he was being aggressive. And the threat of the power that he had behind him. Right. He he uh he shakes up Ray a bunch, and towards the second half of the fight, Ray's got a. I, I think he ended up with a detached retina when this was all over. Ray has got a big mouse underneath his eye. He is messed up by the end of that fight. But so we'll we'll stick to the first third of the fight, and mm-hmm. while Ray's having all these difficulties, Tommy's having a lot of difficulties trying to just find Ray cleanly because mm-hmm. Ray's footwork is just so on point where. A lot of guys who fought Tommy, the the idea is to move away from his right hand, to not stay close to it because that's his 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 eraser. You're going mm-hmm. out. Think of him as a welterweight Deontay Wilder. That right hand touches you, you're going to sleep. Sure. So the idea is to move away from that. What Ray did was force Tommy to move in the opposite direction than most guys do. Ray took away Tommy's jab very early. Because if Tommy can't find you with his jab, he can't find you with his right hand normally. Mm-hmm. So what Ray did was force Tommy to move against how he would normally move, move counterclockwise, and take that jab away from him so we couldn't find the range accurately. And on top to of Tom, that, Ray... To Tommy Hearns' credit, because it's because I, I think one might be led to believe that you know he would throw punches, Ray would evade. But as we keep saying, Ray wasn't able to throw anything back, and God knows he tried. But Tommy... To his credit, did not trip over his own feet. Also has very good footwork in the first third of this fight. He is able to move with sugar and continue to keep up the pace. I mean, he throws uh, the first three to four rounds is almost all Tommy Hearns, and it's a high-volume punch rate. Yeah, and and again, he's not hitting Ray cleanly because Ray's doing these things to provide Mm -hmm. a very hard target. He's also doing stuff he didn't normally do. Ray's leaning forward at the waist mm-hmm. rather than kind of doing more knee bending to make his upper body more evasive where he can ride a shot away. And even Tommy Hearns will tell you to this day, he's never hit Ray with his best shot. Right. And people have asked, well, why didn't you throw more right hands early? Because he doesn't throw a lot of right hands early in this fight. And Tommy very plainly explained, I'm not going to throw a punch if I know it's going to miss. Right. And I had a very hard time finding him early because he's very good. And again, you know, to raise credit, he's limiting what Tommy can do offensively, but he's not putting up a ton of offense himself. And when mm. that happens, it's 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 very difficult to try to win a fight. And the first round is fought on pretty even terms, but what really makes that round is the end of the round and a little bit of the aftermath where Tommy is scores with a punch kind of right at the bell, maybe a little bit borderline after. And Ray pats him on the head like he did to Duran. But he gets a very different response from Tommy. Tommy just pops him with a short little right hand. There, it was, there were two very, like, rocky cinematic moments, and that was one of them. The other yeah. one was – the other one where they, they – and it's just, like, hitting after the bell. But, like, you would you would get the impression that these guys just wanted to murder each other, like – if you weren't sold on this fight going in, like you're you know, you're doing a big Sugar Ray stand or something, you're like, oh, I'm sure he'll walk through this Tommy Hearns guy. By rounds five and six, you're sold 
that this is this is not not necessarily a fight to the death, but this is a high intensity fight with the guy who's there for Sugar. He is game all day long, and yeah. he's and there's a lot of emotion in there. Sugar oh, Ray, there's palpable competitive yeah. dislike between these yeah. guys, and Sugar Ray for the first half of the fight is really struggling with like this shouldn't be this hard. And I always, you know, I always make the joke of, you know, it's not Victor Ortiz. I shouldn't get beat up this way, but he is definitely the like sense of entitlement. Yeah. He is. He is definitely about halfway through this fight going, well, the, he's putting on a, a tougher fight than I was giving him credit for being able to do. And he's having a hard time sort of getting around that. Which leads to, and I, and I don't want to skip too far ahead because I know there was stuff you wanted to talk about, but I, I do have to bring this up now. He's lost the fight on points going into the the, the, the back half of it. And I, and I think it's like around 12 or 13 where Angelo Dundee tells him like... The very famous line. Yeah, if you don't knock this guy out, you've lost. You, again, it's been a quote that's been repeated every time, but you hear Angelo mm-hmm. in the corner. You're blowing it now, son. You're blowing it. Right. And for all intents and purposes, had Hadler dragged him into the, you know, to the end of the 15th round, we're talking about a very different history where Sugar Ray loses his welterweight titles by a fairly decent margin. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I'll always say when we hypothetically talk 12 rounds instead of 15, what would have happened? I, I, I always know that there's the point of, oh, well, it, there is the point where they may have fought differently knowing there's that 12 round instead of. You know, look what Sugar Ray does in the 13th and 14th rounds. I mean, he ends yeah. this. He ends this thing in the 14th, and he ends but it again, rather decisively. But again, knowing that you know, had they both known it was 12 ahead of time, how mm-hmm. differently they would have trained or fought, etc. But you know, the, part of the fun of this fight, mm-hmm. Tommy's winning this fight by being the the stalker at first and walking Ray down and firing off, and Ray can't find range. We get to the sixth round, and at this point, I've got the fight four to one for Hearns on my card. I gave Ray the first round just based largely on I think Ray landed the only solid actual shot of the round, even though Hearns was aggressive and backed him up. I won't argue it, with you, but I I had it four zero. Well, five zero at this point. Five, zero, five zero. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, he uh, it's in how the you go from the call you after the podcast. It's in the sixth round where Ray. Mm-hmm. Catches him with a left hook to the body. And a lot of mm-hmm. people see the one he hit him with to the head. Mm-hmm. The reason he's able to hit him to the head like that is because he hurt him to the body at first. Ray finally sees an opening where Hearns got lax. And Ray hits him to the body as hard as he can with a left hook, seeing that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it bothered Tommy. Tommy backed up. He had never taken yeah. a body shot like that. And then finally, Tommy kind of gets gets his right hand down because he's worried about that. And Ray's able to catch him with like an uppercut hook almost similar to Razor Ruddick's smash. Mm-hmm. And that's when you see Tommy's legs go out from under him for the first right. time ever. And it's like, whoa, what just happened here? Is there something? And Ray jumps on him as much as he can. Ray goes after him, hits him with more left hooks. And to Tommy's credit, Tommy's trying to fight back. Right. And one of the narratives of this fight is, and, and we see it in full play here, Tommy didn't know how to clinch. Mm-hmm. Tommy didn't know how to hang on and buy time. And Emmanuel Stewart, who had made the jump to being a professional trainer from an amateur trainer after 1976 when Tommy turned pro and a lot of his guys turned pro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he kind of would always brag about how you don't see clinches in the Kronk gym. Well, 
that's sort of a badge of honor, but it's a red badge of courage in a certain respect because mm-hmm. that means you got hurt and you got wounded and you get what? hurt and you get wounded. That's the first step to dying on the battlefield. <laughs> one and- of the things – all right, sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the things that I need to – I have two points I need to bring up before we start getting into the back half of this and close out. Um, the ghost of Roberto Duran <laughs> shows up in this fight because – and we, we alluded to it before, but, you know – in the no moss fight, um, you have Roberto Duran going, I- I'm not here to I'm not here to play patty cake, I'm not here to be a clown, and this guy's having fun with me and I don't like it. You know, and there's Sugar Ray going, Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm doing all of these things, aren't I wonderful? Don't I look like myself? And then he gets it right back from Tommy Hearns, who's like, Oh, you want to play games? Tommy Hearns for a big portion of this fight clowns on Sugar Ray, and Sugar Ray doesn't like it at all. Like he really got like he really got hoisted by his own batard. And, and th- like there are times where like Tommy Hearns is just like doing this, you know, he, he's doing the wind up with his arm. He, he catches smug- Ray when Ray tries to do the bolo wind up. Mm-hmm. Tommy just gives it right back to him, pops yeah. him with the jab. Yeah, he does that. There's a couple of there's a couple of times where Sugar Ray is is throwing high intensity volume, and Tommy Hearns looks like he's just laughing it off, like like you're playing with your little brother or your son or something. Yeah, you know, like aren't you adorable? And Sugar Ray, all the credit in the world to Sugar Ray because he does pull it together and he ends up winning the fight, not to spoil you know a sixty some odd year old fight or whatever. But um, he. Uh, he he does pull it together and he and he's able to mentally push through, but he doesn't want he doesn't like it. He doesn't like being made to look the fool. He's the star of this picture. I'm supposed to do this to you. This isn't yeah. supposed to happen to me. Yeah, and he's Roseanne. Tommy Hearns is Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't like it when Jackie gets all the good lines. No, he likes it when Jackie's getting beaten by Fisher. Um, yes. No. <laughs> um no, but we, we, I mean, we're just talking about that sixth round where Ray has his moment of, of mm. oh, success. I, I found something here. Mm. And what he does is he, he kind of presses that more. And in the seventh round, Tommy barely fights back. Tommy's just right. kind of using his legs to try to last and, and go about the, his business. The second half of the fight, he, his legs start to leave him. And by the time we get to rounds 13 and 14, his legs are gone. And this is where the interesting part of the fight comes in because the mm-hmm. assumption from everyone has been Tommy's the puncher, Ray's the boxer. This is how they're going to have success. If it's a punch affair, it's Tommy. If it's a boxing match, it's Ray. Tommy's been aggressive, but he's been boxing aggressive through the first third of the fight that got him success. Ray is now having success being the puncher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even after that, he's still trying to come forward and stalk Tommy and he does damage in the seventh. He does damage in the eighth. I think six, seven and eight are the first three real definitive rounds that you can give to Ray on the cards, Mm. largely because he's hurt Tommy in the sixth and Tommy just doesn't really fight back with that much in the seventh and eighth where Ray starts stalking him and going at him. But I think in the eighth, Ray kind of almost got a little bit discouraged and it's almost, and Angelo took credit for later on saying, listen, anybody who told Ray to step off the gas when he could have potentially put him away, that's me. Because I thought he needed to hold back and last for the fight. And Angelo was right, mm-hmm. given what you see. Maybe Ray could have finished him. Ray's one of the best finishers of all time, but you're fighting an unknown kind of entity in that respect. And Tommy, who we've never seen hurt, let alone finished. 
we don't know. Is he going to be able to the, to last? And, you know, he's playing the long game at this point because of the confidence he has in Ray as a fighter from what he's seen, from what he has seen from Tommy in a certain limited respect going later into the fight, which he's not confident Tommy's going to be that guy late in the fight. Mm-hmm. So now we have this second third of the fight, act two, where Reyes, the puncher, comes forward and starts doing damage, and Tommy slows down. Right. And now we're into the next stanza, where after that eighth round, Tommy seems to have his leg back, his legs back under him. But instead of fighting aggressively and backing Ray up and making him not judge his range, Tommy starts boxing. Mm-hmm. And Tommy starts boxing off the back foot and popping his jab out and sliding, stepping, and popping his jab out and moving the opposite way and making Ray miss. And Ray is now doing the stalking where he's trying to walk Tommy down, corner him, but he can't get him anywhere because he's not landing anything. And Tommy's now piling up the points behind his snap and jab and the occasional right hand. It's not landing super clean, but once in a while it lands and buzzes Ray. And they're doing all this. Each guy has idolized Muhammad Ali and talked about Ali being important to them. Ray's done his psycho job, Muhammad Ali. I'll, Hearns has done his bolo and pop, and now he's boxing Ali style in front of Ali. So you have all this spectrum here, but also on top of that, you have Ali there who these guys, this is the reason these guys are fighters and they're both doing their best stuff in front of him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy to think about, and, and it's even more impressive to watch. So as we get into rounds 13 and 14, what becomes, as I said, very apparent is Sugar Ray is absorbed. Tommy Hearns' best stuff. And Tommy Hearns has fallen off in the second half of the fight. He isn't throwing as hard. He isn't throwing as much. He isn't able to move around the ring. And Sugar Ray, now with a full with full of confidence and half an eye, because just comes forward and he throws wild hooks at this guy. He's just he is not even without a tremendous amount of strict form, he's still a solid boxer, obviously. He's one of the best. And he lays into Tommy Hearns. And Tommy Hearns, now the first one, he, he manages to uh, punch Tommy Hearns into the ropes. And, and and there was a debate in the commentary about whether or not, well, did he get pushed or was it a knockdown? And, he, and the ref doesn't count it as a knockdown. The second time it happens... Um, There's no dispute. Yeah, he, he definitely went down. And, you know, and he get And it's weird because I, I guess the rules hadn't changed at this point, but he is saved by the bell. I think he like gets to nine and the bell rings. And the commentators make a point of mentioning that. He was like, well, you know, ran out of time there. This The next round, uh, Sugar Ray really goes after Tommy Hearns. And an interesting thing happens because the referee stops the fight. The referee's like, all right, no mas. No, you're done. And, and it's funny. And this is what I wanted to get your opinion on. The commentators are like, wait, no. No, 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 no. He's still... He's still defending himself. He's ahead on points. He basically won this fight. And they don't think the ref made the right call. Now, I'm going to tell you what I saw, and then you can weigh in and, and give, give us your opinion. I think, look, you can be winning the entire fight, but if you get to a point where you're, you're not fighting back anymore and you're just laying against the ropes and you're covering up, I don't know... I think that does signal to the ref that you don't want to be there anymore. And if you don't want to be there, the fight's over. And I feel like that's what the ref was saying. What do you think? I feel like he saw a guy in Tommy who still wanted to be there, mm-hmm. but wasn't physically capable of, be, capable of being right. there. And saved Tommy from himself at that point. Yes. Um, and that's a referee's job, by and large, is to save the fighter from himself. 
right. where his courage and his will is going to get him into trouble. And the referee intervenes on his behalf to say, you've had enough. I'm going to stop this. Because I think Tommy would have rather died in the ring that night than than give up or quit or or stay right. down for a count of 10. And the fact that you've won most of the rounds doesn't play into you're no. not defending yourself now or you're just sitting there taking punches into your guard. And, and, and again, again, it's, it's, not know, the, it's, it's not 10 seconds of the last round you right. know, where he's saving him from or not right. saving him from. Or like a Canelo fight where he comes in and he's got his guard up the whole time, but he's moving around and, you know, and he is occasionally countering. Like Canelo starts off really, really slow and he gets, and he, gets a, and he takes a lot of punishment in his guard, but he he's not getting hit clean and he's no. moving around. And Tommy was just laying against those ropes. If you, and this is, this is kind of the giveaway that you weren't watching the HBO commentary of the fight at mm -hmm. the time. Because Barry Tompkins has a very famous line. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. When you see Ray on, has him on the ropes, and he's just ripping those left hooks to the body and then bringing mm -hmm. it upstairs and then coming with the right hand, left hook. And Tommy, Tommy's taking it. And he's, yep. he's just getting hit and hit and hurt. And he's there, but he does not have the energy, does not right. have the, the strength left to defend himself. And at that point, you can't do anything if you're the referee but stop the fight. Right. And it's – I will always hang my hat on saying this is the most impressive Ray Leonard performance that there's ever been mm -hmm. um, to, on paper, seemingly give away so much mm -hmm. but still come back and win the fight. I, 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 think, Tom, it's the, I is, think it's demonstrative that Sugar Ray Leonard is all around. You know, they say, like, Muhammad Ali is the greatest of all time. I'm going to argue – if I have to compare the two, it, it's Sugar Ray. I think Sugar Ray, all told, is the greater boxer compared to Muhammad Ali, based on everything I've seen so far. It's an interesting talk for sure. Um, you know, Ali didn't necessarily have to overcome something like this, to, to be fair. Um, right. He overcame different things. Right. Um, but this is definitely, I, I would, if... I, it, it's such an impressive performance in so many ways um, mm -hmm. for him to have to get out of his comfort zone, for him to have to come from behind, for him to have to deal with somebody as good as Tommy in his prime at his peak. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's, there's so much here for Ray to hang his hat on and say, I did that. And just, mm -hmm. you know, it, from start to finish, it's so impressive. Even when he was losing this fight, he was doing things to try to win the war while losing the battle. Make Tommy move. Make him use energy because I've been 15 hard rounds and he hasn't. And that's mm -hmm. something Angelo Dundee was very keen on, looking at the Randy Shields fight and seeing that Tommy did slow down towards the end of that fight even though he won, knowing that Ray could push that pace and do things that Randy Shields couldn't. And uh, evade that big right hand. Don't let him touch you with that flush you know, the way he could and hurt you and hit you and maybe take you out. Mm -hmm. And Ray was willing to sacrifice in this fight as much as he had to in order to come away with the win because he knew what this fight meant to his legacy. And sacrifice he did. He loses an eye in this, you know. And I think uh, I think he contemplates retirement uh, so, shortly after this. So this fight is is generally seen as the fight where yeah that that detached retina mm -hmm. really happened. Um, and again, there's some question as to did it happen in the sparring session that he had before this where he got the elbow put into mm -hmm. him? Did it happen? you know, at some other point that we don't really recognize. Most people will point to a combination of that sparring session and the amount of jabs that he ate in this mm -hmm. fight on the side of his face that blew that eye up and 
Reyes said he lost three quarters to half of his vision during certain points of this fight. I don't think that's coincidental. I don't think the sparring session necessarily didn't have an effect. I think it probably did. It probably caused that eye because it was tender coming back in to swell. I think Tommy's repeated use of that flicker jab of his touching, 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 touching definitely blew that eye up and hurt it more than it needed to. And, you know, it, he take Ray, Ray's going to take one fight after this before he declares his first retirement, which he even contemplates, like you said, after this fight. Mm-hmm. There's still the thought and the hope of now, okay, Ray's won. He's unified the welterweight division. He's cleared it out. He's won a title at junior middleweight. Now we're going to get Ray and Marvin together, and we're going to have this super fight, which is really like the main event. It doesn't happen because, again, talking in context to Ray, Ray's going to take one more fight at welterweight after this against uh, Bruce Finch, who he blows away in short order. Bruce Finch wasn't Mm -hmm. ever considered a serious challenger. Um, it was kind of almost a Ray. You fought Duran. You fought Kalule, who's a champion. You fought Hearns. Let's take an easy one and right. reassess. And that's what they do. Um, but to each guy's credit, I, and I, we talked about how we Ray just again maybe the best big fight performance you'll you'll see. Mm-hmm. Definitely for me, the performance of his career and deserves every accolade you can give him for what he did in this fight. Sure. Um, Tommy fought an incredible fight and this is a guy who's never himself really faced adversity over the course of his career because he's so good and so different and he fought adversity in this fight because he got hurt for the first time he had to figure out what to do when you're hurt and he didn't clinch he tried to fight through it which is it the smartest strategy no it clearly didn't work for him because he lost Mm -hmm. but there's something to be said about Losing like a winner, to borrow a phrase from a movie called Over the Top, where if you lose like a winner, so what? Because the world meets nobody halfway. Yeah. And Tommy lost like a winner because he gave everything he had in this fight to create this incredible spectacle, this no. incredible fight. Neither and- neither man has anything to be ashamed of here. And it's and it's it's really one of those like classic why do we love boxing fights? Yeah. And you know, the unfortunate thing for Tommy is somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. And right. unfortunately, he was the loser. And no matter how good you perform in that loss, it's just not as good as winning. So in the aftermath, as you said, he takes one more fight at welterweight and then goes into like semi-retirement for two years. He'll come back at middleweight in 1984 against Kevin Howard. And then it's on to Marvin Hagler, which we will cover in a future chapter. And we'll, Tommy, we'll talk a little bit about Kevin Howard and the retirement situation in, a, in the Hagler-Hearns episode when we get there. Um, for Tommy, he does he, uh, the ne- his next fight, uh, just, a, just a few months later, December 11th, 1981, he takes it in the Bahamas against Ernie Singletary. And do you know what the main event of that card was, Mark? What was the main event? Muhammad Ali versus Trevor Burbick in the last ever fight of the, the career of the greatest. Oh, that's right, yep. And um, he, they actually use the same gloves in each fight because it's the Bahamas and they use a cowbell for a ring bell. True story. So Tommy Hearns is not long for welterweight after no. this. He's going to go up to light middleweight and he is going to uh, win a majority decision in 1982 against Wilfred Benitez. He'll have uh, with a broken right hand, um, which, which is, again, Tommy is a right hand puncher. Mm-hmm. And that fight is one of the more impressive outings of his career because Benitez is the consummate defensive-minded boxer who's going to make you look bad. 
in that fight, Tommy outboxed the boxer, the guy who was referred to as the Bible of boxing for his defensive skills. Mm. And one Emmanuel, no matter what, was going to move Tommy up after this fight, win, lose, or draw, because he saw mm. Tommy having struggles making the weight. And one of the biggest problems was when Emmanuel saw Tommy weigh in for this fight, the welterweight limit is 147. Tommy's frame is much larger than the average welterweight in the upper body. Tommy weighed 145 for this fight, which is not common. And Emmanuel mm-hmm. felt he had overtrained and wasn't going to have energy towards the end of the fight. Lo and behold, that's probably a good point of what happened besides Ray just being at his very, very best. Yeah. But Tommy, we, we knew at a certain point, was going to move up and wait anyway. And win, lose, or draw, the writing was on the wall that he was going to move him up anyway. So he goes to junior middleweight and wins the WBC title from Wilfred Benitez. And part of what we'll talk about in the next episode is there's a deal that's being made in the lieu of the retirement of Ray Leonard between Marvin Hagler and Emmanuel Stewart, mm-hmm. where because Emmanuel has a couple middleweights who are ranked in the top 10 and a junior middleweight champion, they're going to do a three-fight series where Marvin's going to fight two guys from the Cronk gym, one named Caveman Lee and one named Mickey Goodwin, and then he's going to fight Thomas Hearns in a super fight. Or so we think. All right. So the next chapter is chapter seven and eight. We're actually going to do in February. Um, it was we couldn't get them into January. Things being what they are. So we're going to double up in February. Yeah, Mark has to watch cartoons and bad television. Everybody. That's right. Um, you're getting your Oz episode. Shut up. Um, <laughs> so February third, uh, we will do chapter seven, which is a double feature of Hagler versus Duran and Hearns versus Duran. Because we and can't then- get enough Robito. Nope. And then February 17th, we will be doing Hagler versus Hearns. Uh, and that'll then take us into the final three chapters of our series here. So that wraps us up for this week on the uh, Four Kings of Boxing podcast. Uh, if you like this, and I, you know, I, we recently made a new friend through the MCU's Bleeding Edge, who's into boxing history. But if you're modern, into modern boxing, Pat and I will be back again this Saturday night. As soon as I get done recording Christmas trivia, me and Pat are going to rush to ESPN to uh, do alternative commentary for Vasily Lomachenko versus Richard Comey, which is bound to be a barn burner. So check us out on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, on three of the four of those, you can interact with us while we're doing the commentary. You can give us your scorecards. You can ask us who's winning. You can quote Bible verses at us. You can threaten to put me in a Kimura, whatever you want to do. But Listen, Pat and I somebody will be talked to me about John 316 and started talking. I said, I don't want to hear nothing about John 316. Ricky's hitting 330. <laughs> oh, wait, that wasn't me. That was Ricky Henderson. Sorry. Uh, Friday the 17th, either myself and my friend Paul Farr, you remember Paul, um, or Robert Winfrey, if Paul can't make it, we'll be doing the Better BF versus Marcus Brown fight on ESPN+. And then Saturday night, because I have no luck at all, Tommy Fury dropped off the card. So instead, we'll be doing Jake Paul versus... Tyrone Woodley too. Be myself and Daniel <laughs> Because and say, quite frankly, nobody wants it. Nobody asked for it. Yeah, this is this is the Christmas gift nobody wanted. All right, that wraps us up here, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on the Four Kings of Boxing. Um, if you're wondering uh, when the next Wrestle Mania WrestleMania show is, Pat and I are going to talk about that as soon as I hit and podcasts so for oh before we go pat what are you listening to these days what 80s hair metal 
music are you listening to? Well, as Mark knows, uh, I befriended the late Peter Steele, and I fell down a rabbit hole the other day with some typo negative, and I was just reliving all the glory days. typo negative. And if his best, if you haven't heard any typo negative or his other band that he was in Carnivore, or if you want to hear what's left over from those from those guys and the other bands they've created, you can check them all out for free. Not you don't spend the dime. We are giving away a free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Click the link at AmazonMusic.com/slash/W2M Network and stream all the bands from Roadrunner, like Life of Agony, Sepultura, Typo Negative, um, and you can. Yep, Rammstein. Um, go ahead and check out all the typo negative you want on us. And at the end of that month, if you don't want it, you can get rid of it. No fuss, no muss, or you keep it. Pay the monthly fee. It's comparable to all the other music services. It's great service. We use it all the time. All right, now I'm done. For Pat Mullen, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>